Is that your true rejection? It happens every now and then that the one encounters some of my transhumanist side beliefs, as opposed to my ideas having to do with human rationality. Strange, exotic-sounding ideas like superintelligence and friendly AI, and the one rejects them. If the one is called upon to explain the rejection, not uncommonly, the one says, Why should I believe anything Yudkowsky says? He doesn't have a Ph.D. And occasionally, someone else hearing says, Oh, you should get a Ph.D. so that people will listen to you. Or this advice may be offered by the same one who disbelieved, saying, Come back when you have a Ph.D. Now there are good and bad reasons to get a Ph.D., but this is one of the bad ones. There's many reasons why someone actually has an adverse reaction to transhumanist theses. Most are matters of pattern recognition, rather than verbal thought. The thesis matches against strange, weird idea, or science fiction, or end-of-the-world cult, or over-enthusiastic youth. So immediately, at the speed of perception, the idea is rejected. If afterward someone says, why not? This launches a search for justification. But this search will not necessarily hit on the true reason. By true reason, I mean not the best reason that could be offered, but rather whichever cause is more decisive as a matter of historical fact at the very first moment the rejection occurred. Instead, the search for justification hits on the justifying-sounding fact. This speaker does not have a Ph.D. But I also don't have a Ph.D. when I talk about human rationality. So why is the same objection not raised there? And more to the point, if I had a Ph.D., people would not treat this as a decisive factor indicating that they ought to believe everything I say. Rather, the same initial rejection would occur for the same reasons, and the search for justification afterward would terminate at a different stopping point. They would say, why should I believe you? You're just some guy with a Ph.D. There are lots of those. Come back when you're well-known in your field and tenured at a major university. But do people actually believe arbitrary professors at Harvard who say weird things? Of course not. But if I were a professor at Harvard, it would, in fact, be easier to get media attention. Reporters initially disinclined to believe me, who would probably be equally disinclined to believe a random Ph.D. bearer, would still report on me because it would be news that a Harvard professor believes such a weird thing. If you're saying things that sound wrong to a novice, as opposed to just rattling off magical-sounding techno-babble about leptical quark braids in N-plus-two dimensions, and the hearer is a stranger, unfamiliar with you personally and with the subject matter of your field, then I suspect that the point at which the average person will actually start to grant credence overriding their initial impression purely because of academic credentials, is somewhere around the Nobel laureate level. If that. Roughly, you need whatever level of academic credential qualifies as beyond the mundane. This is more or less what happened to Eric Drexler, as far as I can tell. He presented his vision of nanotechnology, and people said, where are the technical details? Or, come back when you have a Ph.D., and Eric Drexler spent six years writing up technical details and got his Ph.D. under Marvin Minsky for doing it. And Nanosystems is a great book. 
But did the same people who said, come back when you have a PhD, actually change their minds at all about molecular nanotechnology? Not so far as I've ever heard. It has similarly been a general rule with the Machine Intelligence Research Institute that whatever it is we're supposed to do to be more credible, when we actually do it, nothing much changes. Do you do any sort of code development? I'm not interested in supporting an organization that doesn't develop code. Line going to open cog. Line going to nothing changes. Eliezer Yudkowsky lacks academic credentials. Line going to Professor Ben Gortzel installed as director of research. Line going to nothing changes. The one thing that actually has seemed to raise credibility is famous people associating with the organization, like Peter Thiel funding us or Ray Kurzweil on the board. This might be an important thing for young businesses and new minted consultants to keep in mind, that what your failed prospects tell you is the reason for rejection may not make the real difference, and you should ponder that carefully before spending huge efforts. If the venture capitalist says, if only your sales were growing a little faster, or if the potential customer says, it seems good, but you don't have feature X, that may not be the true rejection. Fixing it may or may not change anything. And it would also be something to keep in mind during disagreements. Robin Hansen and I share a belief that two rationalists should not agree to disagree. They should not have common knowledge of epistemic disagreement unless something is very wrong. I suspect that, in general, if two rationalists set out to resolve a disagreement that persisted past the first exchange, they should expect to find that the true sources of the disagreement are either hard to communicate or hard to expose. For example, uncommon but well-supported scientific knowledge or math. Long inferential distances. Hard to verbalize intuitions, perhaps stemming from specific visualizations. Zeitgeists inherited from a profession that may have a good reason for it. Patterns perceptually recognized from experience. Sheer habits of thought. Emotional commitments to believing in a particular outcome. Fear of a past mistake being disproven. Deep self-deception for the sake of pride or other personal benefits. If the matter were one in which all the true rejections could be easily laid on the table, the disagreement would probably be so straightforward to resolve that it would never have lasted past the first meeting. Is this my true rejection? Is something that both disagreeers should surely be asking themselves to make things easier on the other fellow. However, attempts to directly, publicly psychoanalyze the other may cause the conversation to degenerate very fast, in my observation. Still, is that your true rejection? Should be fair game for disagreeers to humbly ask if there's any productive way to pursue that sub-issue. Maybe the rule could be that you can openly ask, is that simple, straightforward-sounding reason your true rejection, or does it come from intuition X or professional zeitgeist Y, while the more embarrassing possibilities lower on the table are left to the other's conscience as their own responsibility to handle?